verse 19. Run through a quick couple of announcements. Uh, still after service, we appreciate the help. Each one that's able to give us, give the Lord, give your church 15 minutes of your time. We need to spot vacuum after every service. All three floors, four mats, vacuum the fellowship area after fellowship. Uh, baptism coming up, date and time to be determined. If you haven't signed up and you need to sign up, we'll be talking a little bit more about that later today uh, in the Bible study. But if you have not signed up and you need to sign up, it's on the first floor. Make sure you get your name on there. As soon as we get enough folks, then we will schedule that. Continuing our preaching series on Christmas Day. Uh, looking forward to Christmas service. That should be a blessing. And then we are having a Christmas Eve candlelight service, 730. We really want to encourage you. Uh, this is a good opportunity to invite people that don't normally come to church to come. And that will be 730 on Christmas Eve. A lot of folks are looking for a place to go on Christmas Eve. Bring them here and we'll, talk, we'll tell them about Jesus. We are going to have some New Year's services. We'll tell you a little bit about that as the time draws closer. All right, Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start reading in verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by by a new and living way, which he had consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil, evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We're going to get a little further, but let's stop and we'll pray right there. Let us pray. Uh, Reverend Tuig, sir, would you please pray over our Bible study and teach us. All right, let me just go to this. There we go. That one's nice and loud. So, he's been laying this foundation so that they would understand what, why they should do what they are being now asked to do. Now, sometimes, especially as a newer Christian, maybe even as a newer minister, we would approach situations with, you know, cut to the chase, tell me what I need to do. And sometimes that works. When you are uh, only have a little bit of time and you need to find out an answer quickly, tell me what I need to do. But for the long haul, we need to not only know what we need to do, but why we need to do it. What is the foundation of truth that the action and the application is built on? And so Paul has laid this whole foundation of truth, and recently we talked about through this whole book of Hebrews, he's writing to a group of people that were in danger of going back to the Judaism. And so he tells them throughout all of these chapters, Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua, who had led them into uh, the, prom the, the promised land. He's better. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. Jesus' priesthood is better than the Old Testament priesthood. That's right about where we're at now. 
the new tabernacle, the, uh, the new tabernacle was better than the old tabernacle. And so he laid this whole foundation out, and then from that, he's, he's going to teach us what we're supposed to do now. Now that you know these truths, here's what you need to do. And so let us begin. I'm not sure if, it's, if I'm losing, losing you on these verses. Okay. What I mean is there. Okay. I keep turning back to it and it keeps disappearing on me. I got control of it up here so you don't have to worry about it back there. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now, if you understand, we, we walked you through how the high priest had to go in there. There was a lot of, of careful consideration, the rope tied around his leg, bells around his robe. If they didn't hear the bells moving on the inside, they knew that he had been struck dead. They would pull him out by the, the, uh, the rope. And so there was a great deal of, of concern, not only on the high priest's part to make sure everything was right, but there was concern on everybody on the outside because they had to make sure, they had to make sure they wanted to make sure that the offering that he was presenting was accepted. Remember, we shared with you not too long ago, even in our offering, so glad everybody's here. Come on in. Make yourself at home. We're in the book of Hebrews. Even in our offerings, an offering is something that we offer to God. It's not necessarily demanded that he accepts it. He can refuse the offering. If it comes from a wrong spirit, if it's not uh, offered willingly, then he could reject it. And so in the Old Testament, this was an offering. They needed to make sure that they did it just the way God said. It was dependent. The high priest's life was dependent upon it. They needed to make sure that the high priest got this sacrifice offered correctly. Their future was dependent upon it. Now, if you think about it, there probably wasn't a great deal of boldness on the high priest to enter into the holy place. Amen? So you can imagine, trying to do everything right, maybe another high priest had been killed beforehand. I mean, we don't know how often that happened. I know it did happen. And so I imagine he went forward because it was his duty and it was his job and he was just making sure, God, I hope I did everything right. And so there was a great deal of, of hesitation that most must most likely was in his heart. Now, God is showing us in the new covenant that there is something different. He doesn't say that we will get. He said we've got boldness. We can come into the presence of God boldly. Why can we come boldly? Because we've been washed by the blood of Christ. We don't have to have any hesitation. Now, this is an important thing because there are a lot of Christians that live below their spiritual uh, blessings. They don't have the confidence in their Christianity. They don't have the confidence in their salvation that God desires for them to have. And so Paul is telling us, listen, because of what Christ did for us, because our high priest is better than the Old Testament high priest, because his blood was better than the blood of bulls and of goats, we can come in with boldness. We can come in with boldness. Now, uh, let's go a little further. By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Now, 
in the New Testament, when Jesus died, the Bible gives us history that the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place in the tabernacle was torn. Now, this is not a small deal. We're talking about a six-inch thick veil. And it was torn from the top to the bottom. It wasn't torn from the bottom to the top. It wasn't man ripping it apart. But it was God ripping it open, saying that everybody now had access through the blood of Christ to the Father. Not just the priests, not just the clergy, not just the religious people, not just the people that were uh, holier than thou. Everybody had access through Christ. He made a new and living way. Through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Now, Reverend Love was here. He would talk about lettuce. And uh, that's a Reverend Love thing. And we're definitely, matter of fact, you can tag him and t send the Bible study to him. Because tonight we're talking about lettuce. We got three of them. Let us, in verse 22, draw near. Let us, in verse 23, hold fast. Let us, in verse 24, consider. So he starts in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Walk with me back to the Old Testament when they would present the sacrifices. Outside of the tabernacle, and we had the, the pictures, um, there was a laver. That was a place where they would wash. You had the outer offering uh, altar where they would make the offering there. And then they would go close and they would wash. Now, everything that was in the temple was signifying something. It was teaching something. The washing of the water that the high priest would go through, it did not wash away their sins. Amen? It made them clean physically. But the clean physically didn't do anything for them spiritually. It was for them to understand there was both an internal and an external. Now that has application for us today. So they would wash with the water. And then after they washed with the water, they would then present the blood. And it was faith in the innocent animal's blood being offered to God, which he would accept, which would then cleanse them. Now, we have a two-part deal also. Paul, writing in this, this parallel way of writing, he said, We can draw uh, near with a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. The Old Testament, they would dip the, the branches in the blood, and then they would sprinkle all of the elements, all of the furnishings of the tabernacle, sanctifying them. They would, when they made the covenant, they would dip this branch in the blood, and they would sprinkle the people. Might have been kind of weird to be out there and have that blood kind of being sprinkled upon you as the congregation was there. But it showed them that they entered into this covenant with God. But there's also an external part. Come on in, come on in. Glad you're here. Good for everyone to be in the house of the Lord with us. 
What does he mean by having our bodies washed with pure water? The external part does not take away our sin. Just like in the Old Testament when they washed in the labor, it did not make them ceremonially clean. It was just something that God wanted them to do. Cleanse yourself on the outside. It was the faith in the blood that presented to the Father that he accepted that pushed their sins away for, uh, pushed their sins up for a year. Everybody follow? Now, when we talk about this washing of water, what is he talking about? Is he talking about being baptized? Is he talking about there, there needs to be some physical act that accomplishes a spiritual deal? No, quite the opposite. When we are baptized, it is a physical act that shows what's already been done. It is a physical act that shows what's happened in the spiritual sense. Because I have been washed in the blood of Jesus, I am now walking in newness of life. I am now baptized. It shows like he died and rose again. I am now dead to sin and are walking in this new and living way, which we saw in verse, what was it, 20? Uh, yes, verse 20, we're walking in this new and living way. So he's not talking about how the water does anything spiritual for us. Baptism does not cleanse you spiritually. Amen? Amen. Come on in, come on in, come on in. Glad you're here. I should just wait till 8 o'clock and then start then, right? Pray for me. If I'm a little distracted, that's because we got thousand people coming. I'm glad they're coming. Keep on coming. Amen. Keep on coming. The other night we were at Belleville preaching on Sunday night and I got up there. There was however many folks in church and then uh, we started service and so I'm facing the pulpit. Reverend Sewell was singing and then by the time I got up to the pulpit and I turned around, man, there was a whole nother bunch of, of folks there. I said, man, Reverend Sewell sings good. Everybody came he started singing, all of a sudden all these folks just showed up, amen? All right. So going on, let's, let me just read these, these verses to you again if you're just joining us. And we'll pick it up. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, no longer are we half-hearted, worried about our sins, because if we've confessed them, they are washed, we are cleansed. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, Jesus by offering himself made a way to the Father. And then verse 21, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Now the first let us deals with us and God. Us and God. Let us draw near with a full assurance of because my sins have been washed because of what Jesus did. Now, I like this because I'm not coming into God's presence with full assurance because of my works. The new song that we've been singing, it says, I don't trust my ways. And that's got to be true even as a Christian. Even as a Christian, we make guardrails in our life because we understand this flesh is not saved yet. My soul was saved, my spirit is saved, but my flesh is unsaved. We put guardrails and we have accountability because we understand we're not in heaven yet. Amen? So I'm not trusting in my own flesh and my own abilities. I'm drawing near with the full assurance of faith because I've been washed in the blood because of what Jesus did with us. So the first let us is dealing between 
us and God. I can have a relationship with God without condemnation, without second guessing whether I'm right in the eyes of God because I'm not trusting in myself, I'm trusting in what Jesus did. He offered the perfect sacrifice. His offering was accepted by the Father. I have received him. He has applied his righteousness to me. I have standing, legal standing before the presence of God. I'm allowed to be here because of what Jesus did. Amen? But wait a second. Just like the Old Testament had the blood, which stood for the inner cleansing, and the water, which stood for the outer cleansing, there is both an inner and outer in our lives. Now, sometimes people get hung up on this because they think that the church or God is teaching that you got to get the outside all cleaned up before you get saved. But that's not the case. Just like baptism is a sign of what has happened on the inside, once we are saved, there's a change that happens on the outside. Because I'm saved, I now put into effect the things that are pleasing to God. Changing how I dress, changing the things I listen to, changing the places I go. None of those things save me, but they are a result of what has happened now that I am saved. Amen? Now, if you don't see that those things happening, then you have to ask the question, have they been saved? Or... To the, to the man or woman that has a big deal, a big issue, a big blockage about uh, letting go of certain worldly things, then you have to ask, do they really understand what God has done for them? Because there's nothing in this world that should mean much to us when we consider what Christ did for us. Amen? We shared a while ago. How that in our culture today we're dealing with a great force being foisted upon us with the LGBTQ community, with same-sex marriage and all this stuff. And although sin is sin, and whether it's fornication or committing homosexuality, whether it's stealing uh, a penny or stealing a thousand dollars, sin is sin. There were guardrails that God put in at the very beginning. He said, when you are a Christian, you should dress differently. He went back all the way to the Old Testament. A sister called me today, and, and she asked the question about, um, should, can, I, can I come dressed anyway? And I said, well, sister, here's the deal. You can come dressed in what you're comfortable in, but we do teach that there is a separation between male and female because the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches us that a man should not wear the clothes that pertain to a woman. Wouldn't it be strange if you would see, and, and there are churches now, just kind of, I don't know, maybe they've removed their brain or they removed the Bible from their church, where they sanction all this stuff. And God doesn't sanction it. He's, he's putting it in there for a reason. Because you are a Christian, therefore, if you're a man, you should act like a man. If you're a woman, you should act like a woman. If you're a man, you should dress like a man. If you're a woman, you should dress like a woman. Once you become a Christian, you are supposed to be separate from the world. Now, does any of that save me? You know what I got saved in? Some of you older folks might remember. Spuds McKenzie. He was the beer-drinking dog. 
That's the t-shirt I was wearing when I got saved in. Did it matter? No. God saved me in a Spuds McKenzie. I think it was a Michelob uh, t-shirt. Saved me in a Spuds McKenzie Michelob t-shirt. That's how I got saved. Now, would it be strange for me to continue wearing that? Well, yes. Because that's not who I am anymore. Amen? I'm different now. And so since my inside has changed, my outside should show that there's been a change. Do you follow? So the washing of the laver and the water outside of the tabernacle didn't wash away their sins, but it was something that God said, I want you to do as an object lesson that the outside should be cleansed also. We'll go a little further. Verse 22. We're in the book of Hebrews. You're just joining us. Chapter 10. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now we have the second let us. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. Again, I'm glad this let us. First one dealt with our relationship to God. The second one deals with our relationship really to ourselves. Hold on to what you have. Hold on tenaciously to what you have. Don't let somebody rock you. Don't let somebody take it from you. Don't let somebody convince you it's not important. Get to the place. If you're having an issue with these things, go back to the cross. Think about what Jesus did for you. Think about how he died for you. Think about how he went to hell for you. And then the changes that we make after we get saved are, are, are small things compared to what he did for us. We hold fast this profession of our faith without wavering. Why? Because he's faithful. Again, it's not based upon my faithfulness. Thank God. It's not based upon your faithfulness. Thank God. He said, hold on to it. Why? Because he's faithful. He will not allow one of his promises to fall to the ground. He is faithful. He will not promise something that he doesn't do. He is faithful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. But his word is faithful too. And so when God says, this is what I want you to do, one day we will stand before God. Hey, I'm born again. I'm saved. If I have, um, if you have a child... They're in your family, but if they're in your family, you might have family expectations. Some households, you take your shoes off when you get to the door. Some households, everybody has to be there at 5 o'clock to eat dinner together. That's the family expectation. Some households, everybody prays together at a certain time. That's the family expectation. Well, if you're part of the family, then you need to... Go with the expectations that the family expects of you. Amen? Now, what if you lived in habitual rebellion to those things? Well, eventually, what happens? Dad says, I've had enough with you. You can't be in here anymore. Now, for instance, we go back to some of these issues we're talking about. I'm saved. I'm born again. I've been cleansed. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. But I refuse to do something that God said to do. Uh, God says, be not drunk with wine. And so I say, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, 
but I just believe that I can go and get drunk. And so you go and you get drunk, even though the Bible said, be not drunk with wine. It's not so much the wine that's the issue. It's the fact that you are elevating your will over God's will. Do you see? It's, you're saying, God, I refuse to submit to you. And so then you begin to understand it's not so much the jewelry or the pants or the dresses. It's really the issue that I refuse to surrender to God. That is a big deal. And so if you're living in the household and you, you start talking back to mom all the time, eventually dad's going to say, hey, listen, you either stop that or you're going to have to find a new place to live. Because you're not submitting to the direction that God says to the, or to the family says. Let me go on. Let us. So we had the first let us was to God. The second one really refers to ourselves. Now the third one, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Interesting word, this word provoke. In the original Greek, it's paroxysm. It's the same word they used back in Acts chapter 15 and verse 39 when Paul and uh, I think it was Silas, they had their, their, um, their argument and the Bible said the contention was so sharp between them that Paul went his way, and uh, Paul and Barnabas, and Barnabas went his way, Paul took Silas and Barnabas took uh, John Mark. The contention was so sharp between them, that's the same word. Now, to provoke really means to bug, to annoy. So the third let us deals with our interactions with other people. And he said, I want you to bug, to provoke, to annoy other Christians unto good works. Now, when I say annoy, I'm not saying that you should, you know, there's a good sense and a bad sense of doing this. When you provoke them, you send a text. Hey, come on to Bible study tonight. You're just trying to provoke a good response. Hey, don't forget we got soul winning on Saturday. Come on and help us. You are bugging them. You're just kind of kicking them in the pants or in the skirt, whatever it may be, to get them to do what they're supposed to do. So Paul says, listen, you need, let us consider one another to provoke, to bug them, to, to remind them unto love and to good works. Now think about this. In our land of, of streaming, if you're sitting at home on the couch eating Doritos, how can you provoke somebody else unto good works? Amen? Part of what gets accomplished gets accomplished when we come together. I like what one man said. He said, there are certain people that come to church 15 minutes early and they stay 30 minutes after. And their whole purpose is in that time to minister and interact with people so that they can help them. They could they bless them. They could encourage them. They could provoke them unto love and good works. Some folks... Their mindset is, I'm going to get in there at the last minute. I'm going to get what I can get. And as soon as church is over, even before the altar call, and that's a shame. I don't know why you would leave during the time of prayer. Now, I can understand why you might not want to listen to the preacher the whole time. But when it comes time to talk to God, why would you leave then? Why would you be so, so rude and so disrespectful to God and say, God, you know what? I'm not going to spend any time talking to you right now. i got to go because the football game's on. That's crazy. Amen? He said, let's consider one another to provoke unto love 
and to good works. So part of that is being in the house of God to where we can interact with people and we could challenge them. That's not just that's not just a preacher. That should be among saints. Hey sister, come on to soul winning with me on Saturday. You and I, we can go together. Hey sister, I see you in church tonight. Hey brother, hey don't forget, pray for me, I'll pray for you. Amen? It's not supposed to be coming in at the last minute, leaving as soon as you can. Here's the other thing. Here's what happens. People enter into a consumer mentality when it comes to Christianity. Here's what they think. It's all about me receiving something. And therefore, I don't need to go to church all the time. I'll only go when I need it. And that works against them because Christianity is not all about you. And if you only come when you think you need it and you're only thinking about what you get out of it, you've missed the boat. That's not what Christ came to do. He died for others. We are to live for others. The Bible said, let us bear the burdens of the others. We who are strong bear the, inf bear the infirmities, the burdens of the weak. So when you think that way, you're thinking in a very... Very immature, very selfish way. It's not just when I come because when I need it. I'm coming not just to receive something. I'm coming, number one, because God said to. Number two, because I want to give something. My encouragement to a brother. I want to provoke somebody under soul winning. I want to encourage somebody to bring somebody to church. I want to, I want to stir up somebody to go the extra mile. That's what God is asking. Let us consider one another. My time is almost up. That's good. I only got a little bit more to go. Verse 25, familiar portion of Scripture. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Paul had the same folks back then that didn't come. And I'm not talking necessarily to you tonight because you all came to church. Amen? So we're not, I'm not picking on you. But this is a good reminder for when we may be tempted not to come. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Again, do you see this? If I'm sitting at home watching the stream, I really can't exhort somebody else. But exhorting one another. I can do that via text. Yes, you can. That's something that you should do. I can do it via a phone call. Yes, you can. Maybe through an email. Uh, maybe through going and knocking on somebody's door. But you can also do it face-to-face -face in the church. I can exhort somebody. So much the more as you see the day approaching. We, we live in a more and more isolated society. People may have 1,200 friends on Facebook, but not one real close person that they interact with on a face-to-face on a -face basis. And the more we become isolated, the more we can believe things that aren't necessarily true. When we are What's the word? When we are, uh, as a kid, when we're socialized, we get around others, we start to learn what's right and what's wrong. What's a proper way of acting? To a certain degree, we're socialized. Okay, you know, we need to share the toys. When you're at home by yourself, you get to play with the toys all by yourself. Now when you're in kindergarten, you got to share the toys. And you learn to interact. Amen? You get a little older, you, you, you learn to care for somebody else. You stick up for the guy that's being bullied. You stick up for the girl that's being bullied. You learn these things. You're, you're socializing. In Christianity, we need one another. We are the called out ones. 
And so it's not about us as individuals. I'm just coming to church to get something from me, and you're missing the boat. That's not what Christianity is about at all. Exhort one another. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast to ourselves. Let us consider, provoke, stir up others. And then not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. I'm not sure. I think sometimes that the next persecution will happen in my time frame, in my life span. It may. I don't know. You don't know. But I know that if it does, I need my brothers and sisters. I know that I need others. I need God, but God created us so that we would not go it alone. Hey, my time is up. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much. Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for the stirring. We pray now that you would help us. Lord, we're entering into the second part of the service in reality. Not just where the minister exhorts, but where we as Christians, brothers and sisters, Stir each other up, encourage one another, love one another, give each other strength, speak a word to the weary. Father, help us to realize that's our responsibility every day. And God, we give you thanks, we give you praise in Jesus' wonderful name, amen, amen. Hey, there's fellowship downstairs, we're celebrating Sister Hill's birthday, and so come on downstairs. Have a bite to eat. Help us sing happy birthday to her. And uh, we'll see you downstairs. God bless you. Don't forget church Thursday night, 730. And then, of course.